My dear Father, now please bless, bless your servant Drayton. Fill him with your grace. Uh, that your power be uh, made perfect working through him. We pray that, that the words that he speaks would be acceptable unto you and that the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable unto you. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much, Frank. It's great to be with you on a very cold day um, before it looks like some snow. So um, I guarantee you we'll be out of here before the snow comes. So don't worry about that. Uh, I am going to speak to you today about obedience. That's a, a tough subject um, to speak about. In fact, I should turn my back. Anybody wants to walk out can do so now. I thought it was tough until I found out Frank was going to talk next week about sin. So maybe, maybe um, obedience will be a little bit lighter than what you'll hear next week. I doubt it. By the way, Gerald Bray is somebody wonderful uh, when he's here two, two weeks hence. And I'm glad I'm before Gerald and before Frank. Uh, I've been writing a book um, on the subject of obedience for a couple of years. It's my second book. I swore after my first book um, that I would not write a second book. But for some reason, I could not not write this book. And um, it, it has been a book that has been on my heart. Um, but it's so interesting to be at a cocktail party and somebody will come up to you and say, neighbors, you're writing a second book? And uh, I'll say, yeah. Um, and they say, what's it on? I have offered people $50 to have an answer to that question that's not off-putting. If you say obedience, it's just like saying that you have the swine flu and you're about to sneeze. Uh, I mean, it, it, it puts a total end to the conversation. Um, and um, um, it's, it's not a subject, is it, um, that resonates with us when we just hear that word. Uh, now, the truth of the matter, and I don't think this is fraud, um, the title of the book is The Hidden Key to Happiness. I did not dare use the word obedience in the title. Um, but that is what the book is about. It's about the relationship between obedience and a bundle of blessings that we have uh, in obedience. Now, the truth of the matter is that the single word obedience is off-putting. It doesn't resonate with us. And the book is not about the single word obedience. The book is about the obedience of faith. Uh, the two have to go together. Without faith, no obedience will be pleasing to God. Um, and without the obedience resulting in good works, faith is dead. The two are conjoined, one with the other, always. I opened the book with um, a, a little vignette. It took place at a D.L. Moody crusade. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist uh, back in the 19th century, and he had done one of his crusades, and invited some of the people who had accepted Christ to come to the stage and say something. This old codger came up, and he says, um, you know, I didn't understand everything um, that the great uh, minister said, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey. And that inspired a hymn. I'm not going to ask who might be a Baptist, who might be a Methodist. I don't think it's in our hymn. No. That has this, this refrain, we got one here on the front row. Trust and obey. 
There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I got a lot of nodding in this Episcopal crowd. Some of you grew up in other churches. Um, um, and that's the way the book opens. Now, you know, that is very Episcopal. Um, and um, it's, it's easy to understand that it is if we go to our baptismal service. Um, as you know, there are three questions in which we renounce Satan and all of the dark forces of this world that will separate us from the love of God. And then there are three questions that are asked in the affirmative. They're the most important questions to be asked of anyone in, in, in Christ. And that is the first one. Is do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior? The answer is, I do. The second question, question will you put your entire trust in his grace and love as faith? Your entire trust in his grace and love. Third question, do you promise to follow and obey him as Lord? You see, we're doing the same thing that happened at that moody crusade. The old conjurer had accepted Jesus as his Savior, question one. And he says, I'm going to trust, put my entire trust in your grace and love, and I'm going to obey. I'm going to follow and obey Jesus as Lord. Same three steps, same three foundational components in the Episcopal view of things. In the Methodist, Baptist view of things, we can say in the Christian view of things, every Christian life begins with receiving Christ as our Savior and continues when we trust and when we obey. Now, when I, um, somehow, I, I hope it was the Lord. I hope this business is not of me. If it is, it's a waste. Um, but when I could not put it down, um, you go to Je the teachings of Jesus and um, you, you, you see obedience all in them. He finishes his teachings with the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and then teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. Um, he says, not one dot or tittle of the law will pass away until all is accomplished. But I got to Paul, and um, as you know, Paul says, no one will be counted righteousness, um, but counted righteous, righteous by what they do. Um, it is by grace through faith and not by works we are saved. And I just said, I'm not going to write this book if it isn't entirely consistent with everything that St. Paul wrote about. And what confirmed to me that it was worth the effort was the way he opened his magisterial letter to the Romans. And um, as you know, Paul gets, sometimes he gets very effusive with his words, and he's got a thought that could be expressed in six words, and he expresses it in 45 in about a single sentence with many conjunctions and whatnot, and it's easy to lose his train of thought. But I, I challenge you to do this. And that is to go to the first paragraph of the book of Romans, the, his epistle to the Romans, and the last. And you will find when you parse those sentences and 
ask, what is he saying? He is saying that the entire purpose of my apostleship is to bring about, I'm going to let you, I'm not going to call on anyone. You can continue to have eye contact with me without any fear that I'm going to call on you. (laughs) How would you finish it? The entire purpose of my apostleship is to bring about the obedience of faith to all nations to the glory of Jesus Christ or the sake of Jesus Christ's name. So he starts his letter, finishes his letter, the entire purpose. I mean, it takes more words for him to say this, but the purpose of the gospel is to bring about... I could even call on somebody now, couldn't I? Uh, the obedience of faith in all nations. That's the way he finishes, the way he ends. So I said, okay, neighbors, um, obedience is something also that Paul um, takes seriously. And if you go to the um, study Bible for the ESV, um, they make it clear that that is, is, is what he is saying here. So I got by that. And what I want to do this morning is talk to you about how faith and obedience combine one with the other. Um, and how, through faith, obedience becomes something that is joyful, something that we delight in, that draws us closer to Jesus Christ, through whom we have happiness. So how do faith and obedience work together? We all know that... Um, God's grace is there to pardon us from our sins. That's how when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, through faith in Jesus Christ, His righteousness is transferred to us. um, And our sins are forgiven, and we are counted righteous through Jesus Christ. Grace operates in that way. But grace also is power for us to accomplish what God has given to us to accomplish what he has purposed for us to do in our life. Grace is pardon, but grace is also power. You with me? I'll give you an example. In 1 Peter chapter 4, um, Peter writes that we should use whatever gifts we have received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in his various forms. You see, that grace is there to empower us to serve others. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that all grace abound to the Corinthians, abound to us, so that in all things, having all that we need, we will abound in every good works. Abounding grace for abounding good works. Grace giving us the power of God to abound in good works. Faith connects the humble heart to the grace of God. Are you with me? Grace is, I mean, faith is a connector. So if obedience is something that comes hard to us, it doesn't to women, but it does to men. You understand this, don't you, men? Maybe some women will. But if obedience is something that comes hard to us, through faith, we will have the power of God to walk in obedience. I'll give you some examples. Pick up any of the Gospels. And go to Jesus' miracles. 
time and time and time again, he says, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. The grace of God flowing through Jesus, into Jesus, through Jesus, for the miracle of healing was accompanied by the faith of those that received the healing. If you go to chapter 5 of Romans, verse 1, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through whom, by faith, we have access to His grace. By faith, we have access to grace, not only for pardon, but also for power. When Jesus goes into Nazareth, He doesn't do many miracles because of their lack of faith. Peter, Peter, when uh, at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus goes to Peter and says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now this is Peter on whom Jesus is going to build his church. Jesus has the power to say, Satan ain't going to touch you. But I didn't know what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? He says, I have prayed that your faith will not fail you. In other words, the grace of God, the power of God was there for Peter, but only mediated by his faith. Faith is our shield by the grace of God. So the obedience of faith allows faith to connect us to the grace of God. Now this is going to oversimplify it, but this metaphor may help us. Faith is a gasoline hose. It doesn't do anything by itself. It needs the source of gasoline, God, and it needs the automobile, our character, what we will do in obedience. It connects the two. Are you with me? Faith is a connector to the grace of God, grace of God, to our walking with God in obedience. Okay? Second, Faith provides the motivation for our obedience. Um, if we have faith, we will flat want to obey. We will delight in obedience. And by the way, give this some thought. Um, we're going to obey in heaven. I define uh, obedience, and I think this is something that almost everybody would agree with, is simply aligning our will with the will of God. The obedience of faith is aligning our will with the will of God in His power, in His grace through our faith. Are you with me? But what will you pray this morning, or have you prayed this morning already? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, God has a will. Uh, that will exists in heaven. And all of the heavenly hosts have their wills aligned with God's will. On earth, uh, the obedience that we're talking about is heavenly obedience. The obedience we don't like is the obedience of hell. Now, what do I mean there? There's going to be obedience in hell, going to be the obedience in heaven. We may think we don't have to obey here. Well, we just got about 80 years to have that attitude. Um, I had a law professor, a guy named Grant Gilmore, and he said, he said this. He said that 
the worse a society, the more law it will have. We know that, don't we? Without character, we need a bunch of laws. Uh, and we're getting a bunch of laws, by the way, because of our absence of character in some areas. Um, he says, in hell, there's nothing but law. And it's meticulously observed. That's the law we don't like. The law that is meticulously observed because we know Satan will punish us if we don't obey. And we don't want to be in that environment. In hell, I mean in heaven, everyone obeys. There is no law. But we delight in doing the will of God. We want to do the will of God because we love him so much. That's the obedience of heaven. And that's the obedience of faith that we're to have as Christians here on earth. So the second thing faith will do is the second thing faith will do is to motivate us to obey. I haven't explained that yet. I shouldn't have said so, but I'm going to explain that now. I'm going to ask you um, just to do some pretending with me. Uh, let's pretend if you're women, you're the mother. If you're men, you're the father. That we live in the Sudan and we're 30 years old and we have one child, a precious girl, who's four years old and she is sick. Uh, she, she has no energy anymore. The color of her skin uh, is frightening and um, we just don't know what's wrong. And a medical missionary comes uh, to our little village and we take our daughter to that missionary and he does some tests. He says, your daughter's dying. She's got a liver disorder and she'll probably live another five or six weeks. There's nothing we can do about it. I don't know of any cure for this particular problem except a very special team of surgeons in Baltimore. Uh, they have surgery that can cure this, but that's 10,000 miles away and that's not available. And you go home that night and you try to absorb that truth. You're going to lose your only child, how much you love her. Nothing you can do about it. And let's pretend the next morning that doctor comes to your little hut and he says, I couldn't sleep last night. I'm sorry. So I called this team, this surgical team in Baltimore. They're going to do the surgery. And I'm going to fly your daughter to Baltimore and you with them. And the doctor does that. The surgery is performed and your daughter is returned to full health. Now ask yourselves what you wouldn't do for that doctor. If that doctor says, come to my hospital and clean latrines, you would say, when can I start? because of what that doctor has done for you and your child. God has done infinitely more for us through Jesus Christ. We who were dead in our sins, helpless, with no hope, were given Jesus Christ who died for our sins, through whom we have righteousness, through whom we have eternal life, him who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. If we take that truth in, and it is truth, through faith, we will be motivated to obey. We'll say, Jesus, what can I do for you? 
there was a great uh, German, a guy named Nicholas Zinzendorf. Don't want to ask for a show of hands. That's a pretty esoteric name, isn't it? Nicholas Zinzendorf. Uh, he lived in the 18th century in a place uh, eastern Germany, which was came to be named Hernhut. He visited a museum when he was a youngster, when he was 23, 24 years old. And there was a painting of Jesus wearing the crown of thorns. The title of the painting was Ecce Homo, Behold the Man. You remember Pilate brings Jesus out into the balcony for the Jewish nation to look upon Jesus. He says, Behold the man. I find nothing that this man has done that deserves the punishment of death. So this painting had Jesus with the crown of thorns. He had been mocked. He had been beaten. Um, and under the painting um, is the question, What will you do for me? The idea is that we focus on what Jesus has done for us, the pain that he endured for us. Um, and then he says, what will you do for me? Well, that made a profound impression on Zinzendorf. He owned a lot of land in East Germany. It becomes, became a sanctuary for Protestants that were fleeing persecution from the Catholic Church. Um, the group that we know, um, um, this group, it, the name of this group is the Moravian Brothers. The whole tenor and theme of that ministry was the Lamb of God, the slain Lamb of God, going back to what Zinzendorf learned when he saw that painting. And that community became inflamed with missionary zeal and empowered by faith in the blood of the Lamb. They went all over the world. Zinzendorf would give them enough money to get to the port of embarkation. Then they would work their way across the ocean to the Americas. John Wesley met Moravians when he uh, went, went over to Georgia, met Moravians when he came back. They went to Greenland. They went to the Americas. They went to West Indies. When they got there, they worked amongst the natives. They didn't create churches. They worked in the fields and um, in the factories um, Hundreds, well, I say hundreds, dozens didn't come back. New volunteers came from that little Moravian community. They had great faith in the atonement. And this drove them and motivated them to do great things for God. Jesus said, we had just a little faith, small as a mustard seed. We could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would happen if we have just a little faith. And what Jesus has done for us, we're ready. We're ready to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. What is your will for my life? Show me your will for my life so I can live for you in light of what you've done for me. So faith first connects us to the power of God. Faith next motivates us to do what God has planned for us to do. You with me? Third, faith gives us the courage and the confidence to obey. Now, one of the reasons obedience is not always easy, I mean, is that it is hard and it does take some courage. Um, and we need to move out of our comfort zones. And we don't. Um, and it's because we don't have faith. Um, you can almost look 
at sin. <laughs> Frank's going to talk about it next week. I don't want to get any much. That is a tougher thing to talk about than obedience. I can assure you that. But a sin is essentially this. And that is that which you, we attempted to do, we think will make us happier than obedience. That's all sin is. What happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? Um, they, um, they went through an equation, a little calculation in their mind, and they said, if we eat of that fruit and can determine what's good and evil for ourselves, we're going to be happier. We're going to have a better life than if we obey God. Even though they had the whole of the garden, they had paradise they still did that calculation, and the sin came from, we'll be happier if we disobey. Uh, why did the Israelites do the golden calf there in the desert? And that is, they figured that golden calf, that idol, would give them a better life than whatever God was giving them or had promised them. They didn't have faith in the provision of God. The Bible, and then, why did, they, why did Abraham leave his comfort zone, and go to a land at God's beckoning that he knew nothing about. He did it by faith. He trusted God. God said, pick up all that you have and your family and move. He says, by faith, Abraham did that. Why did Moses leave the splendor of Pharaoh's palace and go back to his people persecuted and enslaved in Egypt? Because he had faith in God to provide. The Bible teaches us time and time again that God will provide all of our needs through his riches in Jesus Christ. The question is, do we believe it? And if we do, we will obey. Whatever God asks us to do, we'll say, God, we trust in your provision. We answer the question in the baptismal service that we will put our entire trust in the grace and the love of God. And when we do, it's easy to obey because we believe that through God's love we will be happier, we will be more joyful, we will have more peace. And in fact, um, that is absolutely the case. So the reason obedience needs to be joined with faith is without faith we will not have the power, we will not have the motivation, nor will we have the confidence to obey, and it will be pure drudgery. And that is what we think about when you come up to me at the cocktail party and say, I'm, here I'm writing a book on obedience. We think of about obedience divorced from faith. And if we think about obedience joined with faith, we will think about the obedience that is in heaven where we delight in obedience. You know, think about the heavenly chorus. Who is on the throne the slain lamb of God. When we're in heaven, we will fully realize what Jesus has done for us. We'll realize why we're there, how we got there, and what it cost God to get us there. And uh, we will delight. I mean, it will give us such joy to serve that Lord in heaven. And his will will be done in heaven. But it will be done out of sheer delight now, how about happiness? Why is this the hidden key to happiness? Well, the reason it's the hidden key is that we connect pretty easily how faith can lead us to a happier life. We don't connect 
faith and obedience together to see that the two need to work together to give us that happier life. But ultimately, the happiness that we're talking about is the happiness of fellowship with God, fellowship with Jesus Christ. And it is when our wills are aligned with his that we have that kind of fellowship. Remember the definition of obedience. We don't talk about commandments um, in that definition, though we could. It's just aligning our wills with that of God, with that of Jesus Christ. You can't have fellowship with a human being where your wills are crossed. Um, Republicans and Democrats, um, they should be able to get along. But, I mean, you can, you can have different ideas about what is good and bad. You can have different personalities um, and have fellowship. But when wills cross each other, they don't have fellowship. Um, I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, Fairfax loves movies. I'm not, I don't love movies, but I've learned that I better go to movies with Fairfax, so we go to movies. <laughs> Fairfax has never gone to a movie that she doesn't need to get there 15 minutes before the previews. That's 40 minutes before the movie begins. <laughs> So we were going to a 150 movie, and I said, let's leave the house about 145. <laughs> well, that messed with her will. You know what I mean? And either I was, my will was going to get, we, we left at 115. But <laughs> um, small example, but we get the point across. Uh, he wants to buy the bass boat. She wants to save for the children's education. That's going to create problems in that fellowship. Are you with me? When Christ has a will for us and we want to walk in our own way as did the prodigal son, it will not diminish God's Christ's love for us one bit. But it will create friction in the fellowship. Jesus says, you are my friends if you obey my command." He says, if you obey my commands, you will abide in my love just as I obeyed my Father's commands and abided in his love. We have the love. It's there. We won't abide in it. We won't know its warmth. We will not know its joy and its peace if we go our own way. So it is in the alignment of our wills with God's wills that we have happiness. And when those wills are aligned, we have obedience. And they can only be aligned through the obedience of faith. I don't know um, if um, this example has been given, but it so perfectly illustrates what we're talking about. I want to talk to you about the movie Saving Private Ryan, a Steven Spielberg movie. It's... I don't want to say anything. I was going to say this crowd's old enough to have seen that movie, but I, I don't get anywhere with that kind of remark. Um, um, you may remember how the movie begins. The movie begins with the invasion of Normandy, and um, um, there is um, a number of troops. One of them is Tom Hanks. He's, he's a guy named Captain Miller in the movie. 
and he survives that invasion um, of having put his life in danger that entire day, heroically coming through it and surviving it. And, um, um, but before we learn who Captain Miller is, the movie shifts over to the Pentagon. Um, and there, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, um, George Marshall, has received a letter from Mrs. Ryan. And she says, General, I have four sons, and three of them have died in this war. Don't make me mourn the loss of a fourth child. Will you please find Private Ryan and, 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 and have him in a safe place, delivering from harm's way? And the letter moves the general, and so he calls in his staff. He says, where's Private Ryan? And the answer to that is Private Ryan has been parachuted in behind German lines in Normandy. And Marshall says, go get him. And Captain Miller is chosen to go get him. Can you imagine that? You've just survived Normandy. Now you've got to go through the German lines. You've got to find somebody. You've got to bring him back through German lines. He takes eight or nine men with him. I've left out one other part of the movie. It actually, I don't know exactly when this is, but at the opening part of the movie, this gentleman about my age in a windbreaker shows up in Normandy at the cemetery and he kneels in front of a cross at the grave of Captain Miller. So we know fairly early in this movie um, what's going to happen. Are you with me? So Captain Miller takes his nine, eight or nine troops and they get through the German lines and they get behind them. They find some American troops. After a day or two, they find Private Ryan and they come back. And uh, they're discovered on their way back. And five or six of them are shot. Then one or two are left. Everyone is hit but Captain Miller. And they have one bridge to cross before they get back to the Allied troops. And Captain Miller is hit on that bridge and falls down and he is dying. And he turns to Private Ryan and he says, don't let these deaths be in vain. And um, now we go back to Normandy and Private Ryan, elderly Private Ryan, turns to his wife and he says, have I been a good man? Have I led a good life? And she says, yes. We all kneel before that cross. And the message of that cross to all of us is, don't let this death be in vain. And it is not in vain when through faith we are empowered and motivated and given the courage and confidence to do all that God has planned for us to do. And we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the works which he planned beforehand for us to do. He will give us all of the equipment to do all of that. And as we do it, we will be happy. We will know joy and peace that otherwise we'll know a joy and peace that will just be infinitely higher than any that we can have if we try to gain it other than through the obedience of faith. So let's pray if we can. Heavenly Father, just help us take it all in.
help us to... Well, Jesus, you, you are the author and you are the perfecter of our faith. We want more faith. Grow our faith. Increase our faith, dear Jesus, so that we will have the power and the motivation and the courage to serve you all the days of our life. We want to know your will. We pray thy will be done on earth in our lives. We want that prayer to be the prayer of our heart every day. And then we want the faith so we'll have the power to live in your will. And we will rest assured, Jesus, that as we live in your will, you will walk with us. You will delight in us. And you will give us joy and peace and happiness. And for that, dear Jesus, we thank you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you. We have a couple of minutes if you'd like to pass the baton and someone would want to ask, make an observation or ask straight in a question. We'd be delighted to, to do that. Take a few minutes to do that if you'd like. <laughs> yes. Okay. Is there or was there a particular time in your life? Um, it looks like you've got it so together now that it's like this is your calling and you can be a Supreme Court judge and you can run a huge publicly held company and, you know, through the glory years. But um, at what age and stage did you decide that there was something, a real call? And obviously you're a preacher. So at what age and stage did you know that God really had a plan for you? And did you really put your faith in his plan? Can you tell she works for him? <laughs> I guess she wants me to tell you a little bit about my life. Um, the truth of the matter is I didn't answer that first question until I was 37 years old. I did not turn to Jesus Christ as my Savior. I mean, I was brought up in a church. Uh, uh, I, I, I knew the Bible somewhat, but I read a book by Chuck Colson about being born again. Didn't know much about being born again until I read that book. But when I read it, I said, God, what have happened to Colson? Let it happen to me. And then my daughter was baptized three weeks later. That, that's when those questions just jumped out of the page. And I answered those questions on behalf of my daughter, Sissy, but I knew I was answering on my behalf. You with me? You turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior. Four or five years later, and I didn't get into this, but there's a chapter in my book on the subject. Um, there was, in a special way, a filling of my heart in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is how God's grace operates to empower us to obey. It's all through the Holy Spirit. Um, and that had a profound influence on my life. I was then working at Protective. I knew that my life um, was then, I belonged to Jesus Christ. And um, through the Holy Spirit, he was in charge and would empower me. It was very clear to me, well, I say it was very clear to me, I wrestled with it two or three years as to whether to go in the ministry but that wasn't what God wanted me to do. I mean, <clears throat> this is going to sound strange. After about two or three years, 
in my soul, I did not hear it audibly. He, he says, neighbors, you are an ingrate. I've given you a good life. I've given you a good job. That's why I want you now. Quit trying to escape. <laughs> I mean, and I had, I had peace uh, then in, in, in working um, first in the insurance business, then in government. <laughs> now, again, um, as, as a lawyer, so, you know, this is moonlighting, <laughs> so to speak, during this. Um, I love to write. I love to teach. Um, but God has a call, a calling on each of our lives. Um, and discerning that calling and living into it is the reason we are here. Um, we are here. Each one of us is just an enormous chorus that God is orchestrating for his glory to participate in his plan of redemption for this planet. That is what the Christian life most fundamentally is all about. Great and great pleasure to have you with us. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Lord willing, there'll be plenty of books somewhere around here. Uh, is, is that they there? Um, and uh, I'll try to sign some and inscribe them personally to you if you hang around. Otherwise, they'll be in the bookstore. And I'm going to do this. I, I don't want to deprive the bookstore of their commissions. So, um, see, I've, I've been in the insurance world. I know what sales is all about. Um, so it, they cost $25. The $25 you give, if you buy one here, will go to Cornerstone. But I'll take 40% of that, which is what, 10 or $12, and give that to the bookstore so they'll be happy to. You don't come into some salesman's territory and take away his work. You with me? Yes, Marvin. Let's go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Thanks be to God.